Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. Art can tell us a lot about ourselves. With self-portrait work, it's all about your own self-perception. This is what I'm seeing. And I think there's something really beautiful about that. On today's show, we revisit two of our favorite conversations with Colorado artists, a trans photographer from Paonia, and a climate poet and writer in Fort Collins. That's coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. On today's show, we're revisiting some of our favorite conversations with Colorado artists. Later in the show, we'll speak with a Paonia high schooler about his relationship with photography. But first, our conversation with Northern Colorado poet and writer Camille Dungy. Dungy is a professor in Colorado State University's English program and a contributing author to a book that many Boulderites read this year as part of the Boulder Library's One Book, One Boulder program. All We Can Save is an anthology of writings at the intersection of the climate movement and feminist thought. We spoke with Dungy in November about her work and the book and what artists have to say about our changing climate. First of all, for those of us who haven't had a chance to read it yet, what is All We Can Save? All We Can Save is an anthology of women-identified writers who are speaking through poetry, essays, even um, graphic images about ways to to think clearly about how to move ourselves um, towards positive action in the face of the climate crisis. You're a poet, of course, so naturally your contribution to the book is a poem. Talk about what poetry has to do with climate action. I think poetry has to do with all action. In poetry, we're able to touch into alternative ways of being, ways of seeing, and ways of acting in the world and describing the world. And through those alternative modes, we can sometimes access new possibilities for change and for progress. Yeah, something that stands out to me about this is typically it feels like any conversation around protecting the environment, uh, conserving endangered species or climate resilience, these all seem to happen in the realm of science. But literature and poetry have a lot to contribute to the discussion. It feels significant that this book does include art and poetry and essays. Does that say something to you about how we are approaching solutions to climate change? Absolutely. I think um, the Western world did a really good job for several centuries of separating the human from anything else. Um, the This kind of idea that we can objectively look at the world uh, as something separate and outside ourselves, which is absolutely not true. We are also deeply interconnected. And so art Poetry uh, allows this collapsing again, where much of contemporary environmental writing is directly engaged with science and directly engaged with um, different exigencies of, of the human world and the human condition within the context of 
the splendor and beauty and horror of the greater than human world. And poetry has long been a permeable space for people to be able to write with a scientific observation and an artistic observation. Um, so I just love being able to, to operate in that mode where I can swivel back and forth between those two parts of my mind. And in that swivel or, or that broadening, um, I'm able to see possibilities that I might not be able to see if I just were staying on a singular track. You've described the book as a radical reimagining of how we can approach climate change. I'm wondering what that reimagining looks like. Well, one of the things that's so exciting about this book is it looks like a lot of different things. And so that's part of what feels radical to me in this book is how inclusive and broad through generations, through ethnicities and races, um, regions, locations, so many different kinds of women are speaking so many different ways. We are speaking with poet and writer and university professor at Colorado State University, Camille Dungy. The poem that's included uh, in All We Can Save is called Characteristics of Life. I'd love for you to read an excerpt. I would be happy to read. I'll read about the first half of the poem. Characteristics of Life. A fifth of animals without backbones could be at risk of extinction, say scientists. BBC Nature News. Ask me if I speak for the snail, and I will tell you, I speak for the snail. I speak of underneathedness and the welcome of mosses, of life that springs up, little lives that pull back and wait for a moment. I speak for the damselfly, water skeet, mollusk, the caterpillar, the beetle, the spider, the ant. I speak from the time before spinelessness was frowned upon. Ask me if I speak for the moon jelly. I will tell you one thing today and another tomorrow, and I will be as consistent as anything alive on this earth. Thank you. That just feels so magical. And it's a poem about invertebrates, right? Talk about what inspired this piece, why it was included in the anthology. Well, that's a really horrifying data point. <laughs> a fifth of all invertebrates are at risk, at risk of extinction in, in a relatively near future. And so frequently when I run across these data points, it's just, it, it, it's just overwhelming. I, I don't know what to do with, with that knowledge. And this to me is one of the other things that's beneficial about art, that art gives us another, another way of holding facts and truth. And so just thinking about you know, what is an invertebrate anyway, and, and what do they look like? And um, just kind of cataloging who, who these creatures are. Um, and that allowed me space to, to mourn and to rage um, that's different than I might be able to do if I were just sitting here talking to you about that uh, little factum that I picked up or that I might be able to, again, pick up from a scientific paper or the newspaper or something. The poetry just allows space to, to give life to life. 
I love that it is sparked by a data point and by a term. I mean, invertebrate, if I say that to myself, it just sounds very clinical. You really bring to mind images of these living creatures that are beautiful. Um, and I think it gives more meaning to, you know, them being threatened. Right. I think so frequently the ways that we think about the world, they're, they're huge topics. They're they're almost, uh, you know, abstract. They don't, like you're saying with the word invertebrate, like what is, what, what is that? What does that mean anyway? But when you see a damselfly or a mollusk, or I describe a nautilus later in the poem, um, that then this life becomes becomes real um, and connected with us in a way that I think can build urgency and import and uh, again, drive action. What types of discussions do you hope it might spark? I think the word hope that you're using is is one of the most important. this we've been having this conversation, for a very long time. Um, and so I hope that this isn't news uh, at this point, but I do hope that sometimes there's this like, well, what, like, what do we do? What can we do and how um, that, that the writers in All We Can Save present a lot of different options. And in those moments where we feel really worn down, um, exhausted to be able to open the pages and turn to, to new, um, new instruction and new ideas and like reinvigoration of our energy. I think that feeling not alone um, and feeling that there are communities of people having these conversations can be really necessary to building resilience as we work towards resistance. This is a slightly different topic, but you recently won the Academy of American Poets Fellowship. Um, That seems like a big deal. To me, I understand for you, it's a recognition of of how far the field of poetry has come in making space for environmentally engaged Black writers. Can you tell me a bit about the evolution of that space and what is unique about the perspective that you bring as a Black woman in environmental writing? I think that the expansion of who is allowed um, to speak about what matters to them in the world. Every time we expand those circles, we get better as a culture as a whole. We get more opportunity for new beauty um, and, and new solutions and new challenges for ourselves and our ways of being stuck in a certain path that may or may not be actually effective. And so when I first started writing, um, there really, there really wasn't space for, um, African-American environmental writers. It's not that they were not doing the work. Um, these African-American environmental writers were doing the work. There just wasn't, um, space made in the kind of larger, um, the dominant 
cultural conversation. And that has changed over the course of my career, which has been really exciting. Camille Dungy is a poet, a writer, and Colorado State University professor. Her poem, Characteristics of Life, was included in All We Can Save, an anthology of climate movement writings by women, which was this year's selection for the One Book, One Boulder reading event. Camille, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. Paonia, Colorado, a town of about 1,500 people, is situated along the North Fork Valley in Delta County, the west-central area of the state. It's the kind of place where everyone knows each other and personal news travels fast. High schooler Apollo Rodriguez knows this well. Last May, Rodriguez came out as transgender. During that time, he also had a summer internship with a photographer. Part of the internship included working on a month-long photo project. Rodriguez chose to document the earliest days of his transition in a photo essay. We spoke with Rodriguez about that essay project, the reflective nature of self-portraiture, and coming out as trans in rural Colorado. I'd like to start by hearing just a bit about what it's like to live in Paonia. How would you describe the town and life there? Well, the town of Paonia is very, very quirky and very quaint, I'd say. It's very... I don't know. It can be kind of whimsical and it can also be kind of monotonous because we've got, it's a beautiful little town, lots of trees and lots of people that you know, but it's also same trees and the same people you know. So it's it's, it's a very familiar feeling uh, living here for so long. <laughs> Good to know. Now, how did you first get into photography? Well, last fall, Uh, At the beginning of the school year, during my multimedia class, Abby Harrison came in and did a photography course with us, with all of the students. And I had never done photography before. I wasn't even too, like, hyped about the program, (laughs) to be totally honest, until, like, the first day. And when I met Abby, um, I just immediately really fell in love with it. And I did a project about the political divide in my school as my first photography project. And I just really loved it. And who is Abby Harrison? So Abby Harrison, I think that right now she is studying at Columbia in New York. She is an amazing photojournalist. I'm not super sure how she got involved with the school, but she was just teaching a workshop with us. And she kind of does that thing that photographers do of traveling around and taking cool photos and teaching cool workshops and just kind of a hodgepodge of things. And I think Paonia was like a a stop for her, um, not to put words in her mouth, but she um, she was a great mentor for me, lots of influence. And I, I really looked up to her work and her drive and just like her eye for photography and working for her or working with her really had an influence on my passion for it. You mentioned you did a project about the political divide in your school. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. So I did a photo project. It was over the course of... Um, I think I worked on it from mid-October until around March, I think, but the height of it was during the November election. And there was a lot of very polarized, very divided opinions in my town and in my school. Like there would be neighbors where it would go a Trump sign and then a Biden sign and a Trump sign. It was just very, very blatant divide. And I thought that was kind of really interesting. I wanted to dive into that. So I took portraits of students in my school uh, with all sorts of varying political opinions and then would do interviews with them about their opinions. 
and include that as captions with the photos. And um, I wanted to just kind of show like who goes to Peony High School and what the political divide is like for these people who all know each other during the election. We should note some of your photos from that project were published by NPR earlier this year. What did that feel like? Oh, that was so that was so amazing for me because I was just just starting out. Like those were my first pictures I'd taken. And I was very proud of that and very proud of my other classmates that were also uh, featured. That also really kind of boosted me towards really liking photography. because I was like, wow, I can really like get my stuff out there. Everyone can see my work. What is it you like about portrait photography in particular? I really like portrait photography because it's I know it sounds cheesy to be like, oh, you take a picture of someone and then it's them. Like that's what a picture is. But I really like portrait photography because you can like really capture like who someone is through a photo, through like different types of lighting or just the angles. Or if you zoom in on like just their hands or just their jewelry or what they're wearing, I think it's just a really interesting way to get to know somebody and get to be able to share who they are with the world. Let's turn to this photo project you did on coming out as trans. Where did that start for you? All right. So I was doing a internship with Abby for a community workshop over the summer, and I needed a photo project to work on. And I had just come out probably a week or two before the workshop started in May. And I wanted to document something with change. And I was bouncing ideas off of Abby of, you know, documenting somebody else's change over a month. But then we kind of came to this realization of, oh, I'm changing a lot right now. I have a lot of change and doing some self-portrait work could be really interesting because I hadn't really done much of that before. So I just started out by just taking pictures when I had kind of a rough day with it or a good day with it. Or if I wanted to dig deeper and explore some part of it, I would just start taking photos. And it's very therapeutic. I know you've taken a lot of portrait photos. Was this your first foray into self-portraits? And how is it different? Yeah, I think this was one of my first real deep dives into self-portrait work. I did a little bit of it in the school year, but like really basic, simple stuff. And I think it's really interesting because when you take photos, you're always biased because it's how you're seeing it through your eyes and how you're perceiving it, you know? And when you're taking portraits of other people, you have to really try and put that bias aside and be like, no, this is about them and how they are, not how I perceive them to be. But with self-portrait work, it's all about your own self-perception. And it's, it's so removed from what other people see. And it's really a way to finally be like, this is what I'm seeing. And I, I think there's something really beautiful about that. And you talked about how portrait work can show who a person is in a deeper way. What does your project reveal about who you are? I think that my project at the time revealed that I was very, I'm a very introspective person. I like to look at the little things, I think. I I don't know, because in my project, there's a lot of things that are kind of like hands or like cut off of just my shoulder, things like that. And I think I really, like, I really value the little things about myself. If that answers the question. Absolutely. Um, and in fact, I wanted to ask about one of the photos in your project. It's of a metal necklace with a male symbol pendant hanging over, just barely touching a mirror. What does that photo mean to you? That is one of my favorite photos of the project. That's a necklace that one of my best friends gave to me after I came out. 
and it, I used to wear it every single day. It was super important to me. I, I think that if you really want to like analyze it and stuff, that picture is very reflective with the mirror of like, this is how I'm seeing myself with the masculinity and the chain. It just, I'm rambling here. <laughs> um, You're not rambling. You are opining. <laughs> thank you. Um, let's see. I guess that picture is very significant to me because I think it's really representative of how I was presenting at the time like I wore that necklace everywhere because it was very declarative of like I am a man and just having it reflected off of one of my own like handheld mirrors shows that that's how I was really really seeing myself too. Do you have any other favorite photos from the essay? I do really like the photo of me in the dress where it's just my shoulder with the blue light and there's two that follow it of me in like a button up and then the dress on the shirt or the, 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 and then the dress on the floor. I really like that whole series. I don't know. I think it's just the lighting makes me very happy and my shoulders look very androgynous. And I really, I loved that. Apollo, when you came out as transgender, what kind of reaction did you get from your community? At the time I was going to Paonia High School and it was like the last week of school that I came out. It was received pretty well. All of my teachers were pretty understanding of a few like questions of like, you know, being cautious and just wanting to know more, but nothing bad. Um, And then with my family, I think it was, and it still is a bit of a learning curve. And at first I think it was kind of a foreign thing. It was a very foreign thing. And since May, uh, my parents have both, we've all like worked together to learn about things. Um, But it was definitely kind of rough to really put yourself out there so vulnerably and be like, no, this is who I really am. And I have to, I was coming out to so many people and it was received mostly well, but I think that all in all, it was just a bit exhausting. Well, I'm also curious how people have reacted to your project. I would imagine it's a way for others to see you on more of your terms as opposed to maybe their own filters of of what it means to be trans. Yeah, no, that's a really great way to put it. I think that in the feedback I've gotten for the projects, I've gotten a lot of texts that are like, this was so beautiful to have insight to what you're really going through and what this really means for you. And like a lot of thank yous for sharing that with people that do know me well and are very understanding. And I think that it's a very useful thing and a very helpful thing for me to be able to put it out there so vulnerably in a way that I feel very secure in. And everyone's been really receptive of that. Do you feel accepted by people your age in Paonia or maybe in the larger county area? Well, now I'm going to North Fork High School, a town over, and I would say that uh, my existence as a trans person in Delta County is something very foreign and often, I think, scary to kids my age. And I don't know if I if it has been received too well, my coming out at this new school with new people. Um, I think it's something that is learned. And uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a tough time being trans in rural Colorado because I'm one of maybe four trans people at my school, maybe. So it's definitely being in a minority. As we speak, I'm sure there are other teens who live in rural Colorado who are considering coming out as trans or perhaps dealing with some of the same difficulties that you have after coming out, what would you want to tell them? I think just that 
it is always, always best to be your authentic self. And if you're in a safe and nurturing environment, you should absolutely find ways to express yourself, even if they're little, even if it's not the full coming out yet, like wearing what makes you happy and experimenting with things if you can experiment with things. I think that it's always best to not repress who you really are and that things will definitely get better one day. Even if your current situation is kind of rough with a reception to it, um, you know who you are and like, you know your authentic self and in the end that'll pay off. What role or how would you describe the role that photography has played in your transition? I think that photography has been a really great outlet for me with my transition to really explore um, like what I'm really thinking and what, how I really want to express myself. It's, it's very therapeutic for me to just be able to come home after a long day of feeling really dysphoric or being misgendered a bunch of times or questioning myself and just start taking pictures of myself or of other things. And as I'm taking pictures, it's just a way for me to kind of work things through and get things out. And by the end of my little photography session, I always feel a bit more level-headed. What's next for you as a photographer? Right now I'm applying to some art schools in California for next year because I'm graduating this year. So that's a big step, just fine-tuning my portfolio. And I'm really hoping to get started on another project, um, maybe about where I live or something like that. But I'd love to start another long-form project. Apollo Rodriguez is a 16-year-old high school student and photographer in Peonia. His photo essay on coming out as trans in the rural West was published by High Country News. You can see it on their website. You'll find a link at ours, KUNC.org. Apollo, thank you so much for joining us. All the best with photography as you get set to graduate. Thank you. That's our show for today. Our production team includes Henry Zimmerman and Tess Novotny. Our digital editor is Jackie High. Brian Larson is our executive producer. And our theme music was composed by Colorado musicians Brianna Harris and Johnny Burroughs. I'm Erin O'Toole. Thank you so much for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. KUNC.